Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. As we continue in our Christmas series titled, Tis the Season, think about what the holiday season means to you. Is it about money, gifts, family, or is it truly about the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior? Our prayer is that you understand what Christmas is all about by listening to today's message. Glad you're here. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Um, and uh, really believe God's going to do some awesome things here today. We're starting a new series called Tis the Season. Um, and we're going to be looking the first uh, few weeks here at a lot of things that the Christmas season has become known for that aren't really in line what the Christmas season should be known for. And so we're going to talk about some of these things. And my prayer is that God will use these messages to help us focus in on Christ, to prepare our hearts to celebrate. And listen, December 24th, which will be the last message in this series, our Christmas Eve service, we're we're going to celebrate um, the real reason for Christmas. And all throughout this series, we'll be talking about it, but we're literally going to celebrate the reason for Christmas and why we celebrate. And our, the scripture God has put in my heart to preach on that Sunday, I promise you, has probably never been preached on at a Christmas Eve service. So you'll want to be here to hear that. Um, I'm praying that it turns out well um, because I'm a little uh, about the scripture, but it's going to be awesome. I hope you'll be here to celebrate with us. But we're going to be looking at different things that the Christmas season's become known for um, and looking at how do we combat those things? What do we do to keep our eyes focused on Christ? Um, and not just through the Christmas season, but throughout the rest of the year. How do we stay focused on Jesus? Um, the reason not only for Christmas and the celebration of Christmas, but also the reason for our existence. And so we're going to be looking at those things over the next few weeks. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to jump in there and uh, we're going to be talking about a very popular and uh, awesome topic this morning that everybody loves to talk about in church, and that is money. Yeah, everybody's like, woohoo, yes. But uh, you'll, you'll understand where we're going with this in just a second. But in just a moment, we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 5 in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And, and my prayer is today that when we walk out of here, we walk out with a mindset that we're going to focus on Christ. We will not be bound to materialism. Throughout this season, we will not let materialism hijack our Christmas, but it'll be a celebration of who Jesus is. So let's pray. We're going to jump in here and uh, man, I believe God's going to do awesome things today. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word. God, we love you and we praise you for who you are, for all you do and God, just the way you have moved in our lives. Lord, I pray that today our hearts would be set free from the power of materialism. God, that we would be challenged and that you would literally take and and just stick your finger in our hearts, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit and challenge us with where we are. God, the word says that where our treasure is, there our heart is also. I pray that today would be a time of examination of where our hearts are. And God, where we're out of line, God, I pray we'll bring it back into alignment. Lord, we love you and we thank you for who you are. Thank you for sending Jesus and that we can celebrate his coming to earth to save us. In his name, amen. Amen. How many of you would agree with me that this week, and let me have to explain this a little bit, this week we witnessed one of the most bizarre occurrences ever in the history of mankind and it happens every year the day after thanksgiving anybody agree come on ladies who participated in the most bizarre event yeah you don't you don't have to be shy i'm not gonna bash you for going and shopping on black friday ladies hands up raise your hands let's just take a little poll who was up before daylight to participate and yes some of you yeah my wife was one of those and I don't really understand this, but every, every Friday after Thanksgiving, a little event takes place called Black Friday. People lose their minds. Women and our worship team lose their minds over Black Friday. They go shopping. And uh, come on, guys. Y'all got the turkey hangover or what? That's, that's kind of funny, right? Right? Um, 
but, but people go shopping and they go crazy. I wanted to show you something, uh, just so you can know that like I can relate with that. I understand that because every Friday my wife participates with her two cousins and her sister. They go to Augusta and they begin shopping. This year it started earlier than I've ever seen it before at a quarter till six, 6 p.m. My wife is standing outside of Target in Augusta and the store did not open until nine. And I'm like, what are you thinking? So I just wanted to prove it. I have a little picture here. I wanted to show you that there's my wife on the right. And there's a lady. We have no idea who she is sitting right there. The first one, number one, number two, Susan, absolutely ready to go. When the doors open, they were in there. They had no idea what she was buying, but I knew that that time had come because this week I went on my computer. I opened up the safari to, to uh, search a little bit on Black Friday, see what was going on in the world. And I saw, you know how the, the, uh, the hyperlinks there will go from blue to purple when you clicked on them? Yeah, mine for Target was already purple. And I was like, she's been on here already. It's going to be a bad Black Friday. And so I knew she was preparing, but we really do, man. And, and listen, it's not that Black Friday's bad. It's not that shopping's bad. It's not that purchasing gifts for people at Christmas time's bad. This whole thing comes back to an issue of our heart. It comes back to where's my heart in all of this? Is it really focused on Christ? Is it focused on the coming of Jesus? Or is it more focused on what the world has created Christmas to be? Because I think this is one thing that we would all agree on, that the world has pretty much hijacked Christmas, Right? Yep. The world has hijacked Christmas. It has become about materialism. It has become about things. It has become about what we buy. It's become, instead of being the season that we reflect the most on Christ, and we really begin to prepare our hearts to celebrate the coming of the Savior of the world, that God became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could know Him, it has become the most busy season of the year. And by the time we get done with it, man, we are exhausted. How many of you, every year you say this, I can't wait for Christmas to be over. Because you've just exhausted yourself trying to prepare everything, trying to get everything ready, trying to buy, 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 trying to do. And here's the reality. Every one of us can struggle with this issue. At times, there's not a person in here because 10 out of 10 people are selfish. We typically think that way. What can I get? What can I buy? And it becomes oftentimes about us and not about Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul begins to deal with some believers in the church in Corinth. And, and what he's doing is he's raising an offering to send back to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was going through hard times. Um, they were poor. They needed money to support other believers there. And Paul is raising an offering to be able to meet physical needs there in Jerusalem. And so he's coming to the Corinthians. He, he's, he's had a difficult time with this church. I mean, if you want to talk about a church with issues, the Corinthian church was it. And he goes to them and he says, listen, people, here's the thing. I know that you said you want to give, but here's the question. Will you give? And he begins to push on this issue really of, of materialism and will you be generous? Because I believe this with all my heart. If you want to overcome materialism, become generous. You cannot love all your things and give it away, right? You can't. There's no way. You can't be like, my, my, mind. okay, here, take all this. If you want to beat material, become generous. Begin to give. Step out and begin to give. And this is what Paul is talking to them about. Paul, in the verse, first five verses, I want to read them to you. And then you'll begin to see Paul is telling them this. Listen, I know you said you want to give, but the question I have is, will you give? Will you do it? Because the thing, if we asked everybody in here today and we took a poll, I believe almost every person in here would say, yes, I want to be generous. I want to be generous with what I have. I want to give back because God has given me so much. I want to bless people. I don't want to just hoard it all for myself. I want to be able to give out. So the question is not, do we really want to do it? The question becomes, will we? And this is what Paul is addressing with them. Listen to verse one through five. Paul tells the Corinthians, there's no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, meaning this, this uh, offering that they're taking up, they're going to be given to the church in Jerusalem. For I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, 
and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow or empty, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and to finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Listen to that. Not as one grudgingly given. Basically, Paul's saying this. Listen, here's the deal, guys. I know you said you want to give. I know you said you want to be generous. But here's the reality. We're going to send some people ahead to make sure you're preparing this gift so that when I get there, if some people from Macedonia come with me, we're not all embarrassed. So there's a reality in the understanding I want to be generous, but there's also this reality in understanding they might not be. I think it's the same way with us, man. Everybody in here, we want to be generous. We want to give. We want to help other people. But at the end of the day, will we? That's the question. As I was reading these verses a while back, I'm, I'm telling you, the Lord began speaking this message to my heart several months ago. I began to read these verses and I came across verses six through eight. And there's something in verse eight that really jumped out at me. I want to share it with you. If you take one thing away, I want you to grab this one thing out of verse eight. Second Corinthians nine, six says this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Listen to this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Listen to this. Verse 8. And God is able. God is able. Today, the one thing I want you to walk out of here understanding, and if we can grab hold of this principle, not just in our giving, but in every aspect of our lives, it will truly change our lives. This fact, God is able to do more than you can. God is able to do more than you can. And see, we would mentally assent to that. Just like being generous, we would say we should be generous. But here's the thing. We would say in our mind, God, yeah, of course God is able to do more than I can. But let me ask you this. Do our lives show that? Do our lives indicate that we really believe that God is able to do more than we can do? Do we trust in him when something comes up? Is he the first person we go to or do we immediately begin to think about how can I work this out? Do we really believe if we surrender our lives to him, if we trust him with everything that we have, that he's able to do more with it than we are? Because I would say that if you look at most of our lives, the indication would be that we really don't believe that. That we believe at the end of the day that I can scratch and I can claw and I can scrape together Enough to do more with my life and all that God's given me than what God can do. Do we really believe that God is able to do more than we can? I'm going to ask you real quick. We're going to get out of here. Five questions. Five questions that I believe will show us where our heart is. I used to be so scared to talk about money. We talk about money four or five times a year. Used to be so scared to talk about it because like everybody's going to get mad. Then I figured out everybody gets mad anyway. I was like, why not talk about money? Because here's the thing about money. It shows us where our heart is. The Bible tells us that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And so here's the great thing when we talk about money, because there is this cord that runs straight from our heart to our wallet that it begins to point exactly to our heart. And it is as if the Holy Spirit begins to move in our heart and begins to show us where our heart really is. The reality of this is, guys, we could look at your checkbook and tell who or what has your heart. Because the Bible is true that wherever our heart is, or wherever our treasure is, there our heart will be also. I want to ask you the first question out of verse 6. 
It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. The first question is this. Do you believe God can turn loss into gain? Do you believe God can turn loss into gain? Because here's the illustration that Paul uses is of a farmer. He says, listen, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you, if you don't, aren't, aren't willing to trust God to take out of the storehouse and to bring it out and to sow it into the ground, don't expect to reap a huge crop. And you begin to see this aspect and this principle in the kingdom of God. It says, if we're not willing to believe that God can turn loss into gain, we'll never fully realize who he is. Do you believe that if you sow into the kingdom of God, if you sow your life and everything you have and everything you are into the kingdom of God, you will get a greater return on that investment? Do you believe that? Or do we think that once it's gone, it's lost. When you sow a seed, what happens? It goes into the ground. The Bible talks about how the seed goes into the ground and it dies. It literally begins to rot and this new life begins to come out of it. Do we really believe that if we give generously, do we really believe that if we surrender our lives, not just giving lip service to God, but really surrendering ourselves to him and sowing ourselves into his kingdom, that we will get in return a greater harvest than what we've sown? Because here's where that comes back to. It comes back to this. Do we really trust God? Right? Do we really trust that one, his word is true? And two, that he can and will do what he says he'll do. Do we really trust God? You know, giving and generosity is the, really the only tangible evidence that we trust God. Right? It is such a tangible way of us saying, God, this doesn't make sense, but I'm going to trust you with it. I trust that your word is true, that if I sow generously, man, I'll reap generously. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe? Is our life evidence of the fact that God can do more than we can do? Do we really believe that God can and will do more than what we can do. Question number two, verse seven. It says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Question number two, are you willing to ask the right question? He's talking about how God loves people who don't give out of, out of obligation, but who give because they desire to give who give because God's touched their hearts and changed their lives and, and who, who earnestly just say, I want to give because God's given me so much. Are you willing to ask the right questions? Because here's what I hear all the time. When we look at the fact that giving is a heart issue, here's two questions that if you ask these questions and these are the, the main questions that surround your giving, then there's something broken in our heart. That God needs to repair. The first question that I would tell you that I hear people ask all the time is this. How much do I have to give? How much do I have to give? That's like, eh. preacher, how much do I have to give? Eh. I'm just going to start doing that. And people ask the question, eh. wrong question. Try that again. How much do I have to give? You hear it all the time. Well, how much do I have to give? Do I have to give? 10%? Do I have to give 5%, 4%? What qualifies me as a good Christian? How much do I have to give? The second question I hear constantly is, now, if I tithe, do I tithe off of my gross or my net? Right? If I tithe, because here's the reality of that. We're looking not at how we can honor God with our finances, and with our money and with what he's given us, we're looking to see what's the minimum that I have to do. Can we agree on that? Like if you're wanting, should I give off of my gross or off of my net? Well, let me ask you this. Would you really want to sow off of your gross or off of your net if that's going to determine the harvest you reap? I would say gross. But we always ask that. It's an indication that we're not looking 
for how do I honor God? How do I bless people? How do I become generous? How do I give out of all that God's given me? It's a realization of the fact that we're trying to figure out what's the minimum I have to do to be a good Christian. Listen, trying to be a good Christian, that, that's stupid. That is religion and religion only leads to frustration. Jesus didn't die so we could be a good Christian. Jesus died so we could go to, from death to life, bring him glory and bring other people with us. I always hear that here, how much do I have to give? Should I give off of my gross? Should I give off of my net? How much should I give? How much should I give? And here's, you know, let me parallel that with another question I get all the time. I get this with dating couples. So preacher, how far is too far? How far can we go and still be on good ground? Right? If you're asking that question, it's because you've already been too far and you know it. Right? So how far can we go, preacher? Get it all the time. Okay, so I can't have sex. Can we, can we touch? Can we, what can we do? Well, listen, if you're asking that question, you're not seeking to glorify God. You're seeking to figure out where's the line so I can toe up to that line and not go over it. I heard somebody say this the other day. I'll throw this out there for all you, you single ladies. I loved this thought. He, he said, if there's, you're dating a guy and he doesn't lead you away from the bedroom, but he leads you to the bedroom, you need to find a new guy. Because here's the reality. If he's leading you to the bedroom and not away from the bedroom, he's not leading you to Christ. But when we begin to look at that and we say, well, how far is too far? It's the same question that we ask when we're going, well, how much do I have to give? Because it's not out of a joyful heart. It's not out of a cheerful heart that we want to give or that we want to honor God with our bodies. It's out of a heart that says, how far can I go or how little can I do and still be okay? I challenge you with this. Are you asking the right question? Because here's the thing. When we begin to believe that God can really do more than we can do with what he's given us and with our lives, then we stop asking the question, how far can I go or how much do I have to give? And we begin to ask the question, God, how much do you want me to give? How, how pure do you want me to be? I'll, I'll, I'll draw the boundary line way over here so that I don't ever end up over there. God, I want to be able to give more than what you would ever ask or whatever you would demand, God. I want to go above your command, whatever that might be. I want to bless people. I want to be a part of growing your kingdom. Rather than looking at it and saying, God, what's the least I can do for you? What, did, what if God had done that with us? He's like, what's the least I can do for him? And yet he didn't. He extravagantly poured out so much blessing on us in Christ. And yet so many times we come to God with a reluctant heart. I hear people say this all the time. Well, you know, that whole tithing thing and that whole giving thing, you know, it, it, it went away. And I hear this. And I'm still trying to figure this one out. But people will say this all the time. Well, I'm a grace giver. I'm like, what the heck is that? I'm a grace giver. And then I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? That's awesome. Because grace always raised the standard. Grace always raised the standard. Jesus took it from murder to hate. He's like, listen, it's not just taking a physical life. It's if you've ever hated anybody, you're a murderer. Grace raised the standard. And when he talked about adultery, he said, it's not just sleeping with another man's wife or another woman's husband or, or cheating on your spouse. It's actually just lusting after a woman. You've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus raised the standard. So when we look at the tithe, which, oh, by the way, started hundreds of years before the actual implementation of the law, because Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. If you really want to make that argument, it was not by law that the tithe was given. It was through grace and out of gratitude. But here's the reality. If we really want to make the argument that I give out of grace, then here's the, the reality we need to realize. 10%, that's not the ceiling. That's the floor. That's the floor. 
That's where we ought to want to begin. When we look at what God has given us, how can we withhold from him? He has poured out such blessing on us. I went to Dunkin' Donuts. Praise God for Dunkin' Donuts. Went to Dunkin' Donuts this morning. I got me a plain bagel with cream cheese, which by the way, if you work at Dunkin' Donuts, man, y'all, y'all spare me some cream cheese, man. Like it does not have to have that much cream cheese. But bagel with cream cheese and a cup of coffee, man, with cream. And I went from all the sugar to half sugar. I'm working on it. But I gotta have a little sugar. I got it pulled up to the window, $4.80. dollars bill. And I'm never really sure if I should tip them or not, so I don't, but I just, speaking of being generous, I don't know, like, help me out. You can email me, whatever. Let me know, should, I, should we tip it? Because, like, is it a fast food restaurant? I, I don't know what it is. And so, but I pulled away, and again, I was reminded today that the majority of the world lives off of about $2 a day. And we can say we're not rich, but all we're trying to do is make our conscience feel better, right? We are rich people. God has poured out so much blessing on our lives. And this is the thing, God has given us that blessing to be a blessing to others. And we need to come to a place where we're willing to ask the right question. Do you believe that God is able to do more than you can do? The third question out of verses 10 through 13 says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. The third question I would ask you is, do you believe that money is tied to a greater purpose? Do you believe that money is tied and all that you have been given, all that you've been blessed with is tied to a greater purpose. Paul says this, in your generosity, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Not only are you meeting physical needs, not only are you meeting spiritual needs, not only are you advancing the kingdom, but listen, it's going to result in people praising God. Do you realize that you're giving, that your generosity, that all the blessings you have in life are given for a greater purpose? That God designed them with a greater purpose. And I would tell you that this is that greater purpose. In Ephesians 3.10, Paul tells the Ephesians this, that God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made, made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. In other words, people would look at the church and they would see the manifold wisdom of God. That people would look at us and they would go, there is a tangible expression of God. And here's the reality. When you look throughout all of scripture, you begin to see where In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, people gave to the house of God in the Old Testament. They gave to the church in the New Testament. Even this offering that Paul is taking up, where was it going? To the church to take care of the believers, but also to be a tangible representation of to the world that God is in our midst. And we begin to see, man, that through our generosity, As the church becomes the church, not bound by four walls, but a group of people whose eyes aren't set on themselves, but are set on the people outside the walls. And we begin to use our resources, not just to pour into ourselves, but to pour into the community and begin to use it to reach people, to begin to feed hungry people, begin to take care of people. Then we begin to see and others begin to see the tangible representation of the power and the presence of Jesus. Here's the problem. And see, here's the reason people don't want to give to the church because of what we've done with our money. The way we spend it, we would rather spend it on programs and other things that, that, that 
build our own little kingdom rather than seeking to advance God's kingdom. Listen, this one-in-one project thing we're doing, I'm jacked about a building, man. It'll be awesome to have our own place. That'll be great. But I want to tell you what I'm really pumped up about. I'm pumped up about the fact that as God meets this goal because it's bigger than what we can meet, we will have a million and a half dollars to bless other people with. And Come on, guys. That was the most pathetic clap I've ever heard in my life. Y'all still got a turkey hangover. Y'all can do better than that now. Yeah, thank you. I swear, I think like half of y'all fell asleep clapping. Y'all are like... But the reality is the greatness of it is not about putting up four walls. The greatness of it is what we can do to impact people's lives. God forbid and God shut the doors if we ever become about just building our kingdom. And last week was such an awesome affirmation for me because after we get done talking about how we're going to do this project, this one and one project where we put a dollar towards the building and a dollar towards missions and outreach, man, At the end of the service, we give a presentation of the gospel and four people stood up to receive Christ. And that's what it's about. That's what our resources, our time and our energy should go towards. It's reaching people with the power of the gospel and not just trying to take care of ourselves. And when the voices on the inside become more important than the voices on the outside, We've got a major issue in the church. We weren't created to just have a holy huddle that we all gather in. And every week we look at the same faces. We're created to go out into the world and change the world. We weren't created so that the world comes in and changes us. We're created to go out and be movers and shakers in the community so that people can see the reality of who God is. Question number four out of verses 10 and 11. Let's read them again real quick. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Question number four. Are you willing to move the period? Hang with me on this because this is what I believe as I was reading this and preparing this message. I saw this in verse 11. If you go back and you read verse 11 again, I believe that this is how we often read it. And this is how we would love for this sentence to end. As Paul talks about how God will supply seed to the sower and bread for food and he'll increase the store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Typically verse 11 for us reads like this. You'll be made rich, period. You will be made rich, period. And for us, it's sometimes and oftentimes and maybe all the time for some about what can I get? What is God going to give me? It's about me. And the sentence stops prematurely and it doesn't go on to realize that in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. In other words, God says, I'm going to do more so that you can give more so that people will know who I am. That's the reality. This scripture, God says, I'm going to bless you, yes. But it doesn't stop with you. So many times the blessing comes in and we just grab hold of it, and we won't let it go for anything. And it begins to take over our lives, and we don't live from this mindset that God is able to do more than we can. I saw this with the church. When we first started the church, and we had seven people coming, we were willing to do anything, right? We got seven people. What did we have to lose, right? It wasn't a whole lot to lay out. When we sowed our seed, it was like, That was it. But then as the church began to grow and people began to come 
And we began to take about other steps of faith. We began to think about other things that we could do. They would be out of the box. God, what are you leading us to do that we could reach other people? And it began to be more and more difficult. The more we had, the harder it was to give it. The more we had, the harder it was to lay it all on the line. But early on, the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, if you ever quit being willing to sow the seed I've given you, you will die. Not like me die, the church. We can't get to a place where we're afraid to lay it all on the line, not as a church or as individuals. As God's blessing comes, we have to realize God's given that we can give back. And I believe this with all my heart. Then we begin to trust that God can do more. And we begin to walk in that. And materialism has no root in our life because we realize that this isn't mine. A quick celebration and testimony. About two weeks before we announced the fact that we were going to go into this, we thought at the time, a building project. It really wasn't until last week that the Lord really put on my heart to do this one-in-one project where we would give a dollar and a dollar. But about two weeks before we were going to do that, I was praying. I was already sweating it out, sweating the announcement, wondering, making sure, God, please tell me if this is the wrong direction, if this isn't what we're supposed to do. One morning at 7.15, we're getting ready to leave and take the kids to school. I get a text from somebody in the church and it said, I just want you to know, when you get ready to do a building, put me down for $30,000. I was like, all right, I saved that text. I was like, but what an awesome confirmation. And that text came through. I was like, that's 30,000 confirmations right there. What an awesome thing. that somebody who didn't know anything about what we were doing. Says, listen, I'm going to give you this. Brought the check by this week. And I, they text me and said, left the check. Make sure you get it. Make sure your staff doesn't go spend it on Christmas or something like that. And I said, man, I appreciate it. I love your heart for Jesus. And they said, no, it's, it's not my money. It's God's. And if we could live from a place where we realize all the blessings we have, they're not us. They're not about us. They're not who we are. If we could get our identity away from being wrapped up, and what we have or what we live in, what an awesome difference our lives would be if we could realize that it doesn't stop with us and that the period continues on in the verses 12 and 13 that talks about the fact that God will be exalted as we're generous with other people. The last question I would ask you out of verse 13 also Are you willing to step in radical obedience? Are you willing to step in radical obedience? Because Paul tells us that men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies our confession of the gospel of Christ. Are we willing to step in radical obedience? Last week, man, I'm telling you, I get nervous before every service. Last week, I was like, Where's the bucket backstage? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, and, and I felt this weight of like, oh my gosh, what we're about to do is crazy. And here's the thing that I want you to understand is that radical obedience doesn't make sense. Like you're never going to take what God tells you to do and you go two plus two equals four. God just somehow seems to lead us into places that does not make sense. And what we need to understand is that radical obedience to God is just normal. What we see is some kind of radical life. God says, this is just normal. This is just the life I've called you to. Well, we look at in in Acts and in the scriptures and we see how the people lived and we see how the people gave and we see how people not just financially, but gave their lives, laid them down, died for the gospel. Then we begin to realize like that's not radical. That's normal. And I can tell you last week after we made the announcement and we had the video and everybody was like, oh, (laughs) you know, clapping, crying, standing, whatever. And I got down and I walked over to my wife and she can always read me like she knew I was like about to die. But I came to this point where I kind of felt this relief off of me. I was like, well, we've done it. 
We made the announcement. We stepped into the river. I felt this relief. But you know how long it lasted? Like 30 minutes. Because after about 30 minutes, this is my thought. What the heck have I done? Oh my gosh. Oh, can, can we get a redo? Can we press reverse on that? Because I realized, I was like, wow. And it was a crazy radical step of obedience. But I believe with all my heart, that was where we were supposed to step. And the thing I want you to see is that taking that step and trusting God never makes sense. It never does. In fact, if God's leading you, think he's leading you to a step and you go, oh yeah, that's, that's logical. That makes sense. It's probably not God. Is it so many times God leads us to places that simply do not make sense. People are going to think you're weird. If you live a life that says, I see loss as gain because I believe God turns loss into gain, people are going to go like, dude, what are you smoking? Right? They really, it doesn't make sense. But we have to see that, that in God's world, it makes perfect sense that that is what God calls us to do. Generosity and giving is such a radical step that typically, such a huge step that typically people, this is what we say, I've seen it now since, since we've started this church for four years. Typically, as people come to Christ, the last thing, the last step that they begin to do is give generously. As they begin to walk away from Christ, the first thing they stop doing is giving generously. And I believe this. I believe it's because there's so much power in the love of money. The Bible says, Not that money's evil, but that the love of money is evil. So much so that it can guide, direct, and dictate how we live our lives. When we give, it reminds us of who our provider is. It reminds us that God is the one who takes care of us. As a way of cutting those strings that go from our heart to materialism so that we're not bound by these things. It's a way of saying tangibly, I believe that God can do more than I can. And it's trusting him with what we have, being willing to take a radical step that God sees as normal, a step of obedience to do what God's called us to do. I was praying about this and man, I've been praying through this since July. Since before we, we started even moving really forward with a building or anything else. So if you want to say, well, he's preaching on money the day after they started a building project, then whatever, dude, you're looking for a reason not to give. So um, put that in your pipe, smoke that. Um, but because the reality of it is, like, I've been praying about this since July. And the Lord began speaking to my heart about something that we could do. I was like, God, what can we do? To keep this from becoming another season that's just about you, about materialism, about us being bound to what we buy and, and the hustle and bustle of Christmas. And, and as I began to pray about it, I felt like the Lord really put something on my heart. And, and I, I want to challenge you with something. Because you have to put a title to everything, we'll call it our one-in-one challenge. We were going to go one-for-one, and then I found out a small shoe company called Tom's has one-for-one um, one copyrighted and trademarked. So... Our staff felt that it would be better, not me, but our staff, the other staff felt that it would be better to go away from that. I had seen the founder of Tom's and I felt like I could take him. So I felt like, let's just move forward with one for one. If I can't, we have some barely saved people in the church that could. And so we would be like able to, you know, or slay them in a messy media battle. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, and and so, but we decided and opted for their wisdom and went one and one talk about this project, but this challenge, I want to challenge you for 30 days. I want to challenge you for 30 days until Christmas Eve, from today until Christmas Eve, that every day you set aside something, as Paul instructs these Corinthians, you set aside something 
for the Lord. You decide in your heart what that is. But you set aside something. And on December 24th, when we come back and we celebrate Jesus and his birth, we're going to bring an offering. And we're going to put it up here at this altar. And we're going to say here, God, this is yours. I don't listen, I don't know if it's Dunkin' Donuts coffee in the morning. I don't know if it's Starbucks, if that's your thing. I don't know if it's how you eat lunch, you know, what you spend, if it's taking a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and not eating lunch. I don't know what it is. But this is the thing I know. If for 30 days you trust God to do more than you can, and that setting aside something becomes the tangible expression of the fact that every day I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to give it to Jesus, I guarantee you at the end of these 30 days, if you make that your focus, this will be the best Christmas season you've ever had. I believe that. I believe it so much. I'm not just going to ask you to do it. I'm going to do it myself. Susan and I talked and mostly me. But we decided we'd carpool for the next 30 days. And here's the challenge in that. Why are y'all laughing? We're going to carpool for 30 days. Here's the challenge. We live like 10 miles out of town. So if y'all see me on the side of Lakeview walking into town, somebody pick me up. But we're going to carpool for 30 days. I'm going to put her bicycle in the back of her car, carry it to the office at 325 South Main Street, and I'm going to ride the bicycle. It's a girl's bike. And I guarantee you that me riding that bicycle every day at work is going to remind me of why we're celebrating this season. And at the end of that time, we're going to bring the money that we save in gas. Carpooling Monday through Friday. We're going to bring it and put it right here. We're going to set it aside. We come to town on Saturday. We're coming together. Any opportunity we have, we're, we're going to do this because... I don't want to be a slave to materialism during this season. We're going to pray about what God wants us to give. What does he want us to sow into his kingdom through this project? I would challenge you, do the same thing. What would he do in your heart, in your life? What is it that he would speak to you that you set aside? Hey, I would love for you to send me an email or a Facebook or a Twitter And let me know, what are you setting aside? Because I guarantee you, if you ask him, God would speak to your heart and say, this is what I would like for you to do. And so I would challenge you for the next 30 days to set it aside and then let's celebrate the fact that Jesus moved in our Christmas season like never before, not because of anything we've done, but simply because we focused on him. That that would be our focus this Christmas season. The last thing I'll tell you, verse 15, I love this. That Paul ends this section of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 with verse 15. And he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And I love the fact that Paul doesn't just say it like like we clap sometimes. Like thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, right? But he puts an exclamation point at the end. And he says, listen, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What an amazing gift he gave us. And as we look at the gift that God gave in Christ, then we realize that that is the greatest evidence that God can do more than we can. It's the greatest evidence that God sent his son to earth to live a perfect life that we could not live. That God sent his son to earth to be a substitute on the cross for us. To take the punishment that we deserve, the wrath of God that we deserve so that we could know him, so we could be forgiven. And then on The third day after he was placed in a cold, dark 
tomb, Jesus stepped out once and for all, defeating death and defeating sin so that you and I could go from death to life. That's the indescribable gift that Paul's talking about. It's the fact that we have been forgiven, that we can know God, that now the spirit of God dwells in us if we are in Christ and we can live a life for him. A life that is generous, not just in money, but in our time and all of our resources and our energy and everything that we have. And when we begin to see that, we begin to understand that God is able to do more than we can. The best we could earn, the best we deserved was death. But the gift of God is eternal life. God's able to do more than we can. My prayer today is that we would simply begin to trust him. That we would begin to live our lives in a way to realize that God can do more. God is able to do more. And God desires to do more in our lives. We trust him. Will we lay it all on the line? Will we continue to put it out there for him? Will we continue to sow generously with all that we have and all that we are into his kingdom, realizing that it's all his anyway? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your spirit that's here today. God, I realize that where our heart is or where our treasure is, there our heart is also. Father, I know that it's a struggle for every one of us to keep our hearts from becoming focused on material things, to not envy what other people have. But God, when we look at your indescribable gift, when we look at the gift that you gave in Jesus, God, I realize you're able to do so much more with what you've given than what I can do. God, beyond a tithe, God, I pray that we'll give you everything we have. That our question wouldn't be, God, how much do I have to give? How much do I have to offer you? How much do I have to lay down my life? But the question would be, God, how much can I give? How much do you want? It's all yours, Lord. I pray that you'll move in our hearts to a place of surrender. Guys, you've dealt with me today. I pray that you'll deal with each person here. Move in them, Lord. Do a great work in them so that you can do a great work through them. We love you, Father, and we praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name.